was uh, I was reading this week about a, a a man. He worked in the produce section of a supermarket. And he worked there for a long time, and one day a lady came in and she said, "Hey, could I buy half a head of lettuce?" This guy's like, "Lady, we we only sell whole heads. You can't buy a half a head of lettuce." She just said, you mean to tell me, I, I've been shopping in here all my life. I come in here week after week, and you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce. I'm sorry, man. We just don't do that. She says, well, well, will you go ask your manager? And he says, sure, I'll go ask my manager. So he runs back to the manager, and he, he says, boss, you'll never believe this crazy lady out here. And his boss is trying to stop him. No, no, don't say anything. This crazy lady out here, she wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. So about this time, he turns around and realizes the lady has followed him right as he went to talk to the boss. And this guy's really quick on his feet, so he says, yes, and this very nice lady here, she would love to buy the other half. And uh, so the boss like, yeah, that's pretty, that guy's pretty quick on his feet. So a little later on in the day, he was talking to him. He said, you know, how did you learn to be so quick on your feet like that? I mean, that, that's really good. He says, well, I grew up in Des Moines. And if you know anything about Des Moines, you know it's famous for two things. It's famous for hockey teams and famous for ugly women. <laughs> and the, the boss says, my wife grew up in Des Moines. And, and the guy, he didn't lose, miss a beat. He said, and which hockey team did she play on, sir? <laughs> so, so we see our words are important, right? Words can get us in trouble. Sometimes they can get us out of trouble. They can be used to build up. They can be used to tear down, as we're going to see today. But words have tremendous power in our lives. And and we're going to see that they also do something that you might not have thought of. And I'll explain that to you in just a moment. Now, we've been going through the book of James. and, and, And in the book of James, we've seen that James gives us these practical guidelines for how to live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples. But it does something else. As we go through section by section, James has been providing us with some some evaluation tools, you might call them, with some some criteria that we might use to be able to determine just how mature we are in our walk with Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. I'm just going to kind of walk you through these real quick, remind you of, of where we've come, and then explain what 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 our words have to do with all of this. So we began the very first week in James chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 12, and in those verses we learned there that a mature disciple of Jesus is someone who can remain steadfast in trials. And if if we, the more that we learn to be steadfast in our trials, the more mature we become in our walk with Jesus. We then moved on to the next section, verses 13 through 18 there in chapter 1. And we learned that a mature disciple of Jesus is someone who's triumphant over his or her temptations. We then looked at the very last part of the book of, uh, or the first chapter of James, and there we found that a mature disciple is someone who has more than just good intentions, someone who actually does what the Word of God tells us to do. And then we moved into chapter 2, and in the first part of chapter 2, the first uh, 13 verses there, we saw that a mature disciple, disciple of Jesus is someone who loves everyone equally, who doesn't have partiality towards others. And then finally, last week, as we looked at the last part of that, we spent some time talking how a mature disciple of Jesus demonstrates faith by his or her works, how how that's a demonstration of the faith that they have in Jesus. 
And all those are really good tools for, to help us to evaluate as, as we think about those things in our life. They help us to evaluate our lives to determine just how mature we are in our walk with Jesus and whether we're making progress along the way, which is really the most important thing, right? This morning as we get to James chapter 3, we're going to find out there's another measure here of, of mature discipleship, and we'll find that a mature disciple uses words to build up and not destroy that he uses words to build up and not destroy. So we're going to see this as we go through James chapter 3 this morning. We're going to see the, the importance of our words and what they do for us. So with that background in mind, I'm going to go ahead and read, beginning in James chapter 3, verse 1. And you can go ahead and follow along, or the verses will be up on the screen as well. James writes, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, before we go on, I think it's really important for us to understand that that what we're going to learn here today, yes, it applies to the words that come out of our mouth. It applies to our tongue, but it, it also applies to a whole lot of types of communication that weren't even around in James' day, right? I mean, he didn't have emails and texts. They didn't have social media and all these other things that we have today. These are ways that we communicate with our words. And so the things that we're going to learn today applies just as much to what you're going to post to Facebook as it does to the words that are going to come out of your mouth. And I think that's important for us to understand because, because we're going to see that our words do have power. And they have power no matter what form that they're in. It's really interesting here. James starts this whole section the same way that we've seen in every other section. He begins here with a strong command. It's, it's kind of hard to see that command in our English translations, but the basic command here in this section is written towards teachers. And he says, teachers, not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged more, more strongly than other people are. And we talked about this a little bit back, remember when we were in chapter 1, we talked about the command that was there to be slow to speak, and we said that wasn't just a general command, but it applied to the Word of God. And, 
And the idea here is that those of us who are teaching the Word of God, if we're going to speak it out, we need to be really careful. We need to make sure that our own lives match up with what we're going to preach because we're going to be judged more strictly. And believe me, this this verse, verse 1 here of this chapter, it's one that I think about every week when I get up here to share God's Word with you. Because I understand what a deep responsibility I have to do it to the very best of my ability to do it in in a way that's accurate, a way that's going to be applicable to your lives. So he begins with this command, and and it sounds like he's just going to go after everyone else, but then he gets to verse 2, and he makes it really clear that he understands that he has just as great a tendency to stumble with his words as anyone else. He says, we what? We all stumble. We all stumble. And there might be some of you here this morning that are thinking, you know, I I do pretty well in this area. I'm okay. I never really say anything or write anything that that I shouldn't. I, I have pretty good control over this. And if you're thinking that, my my thought is, are you more mature than James was? Because James understood that he needed to deal with this in his life and deal with the things that that, that he was saying in his life. And so all of us, this is something that applies to, to all of us here. And then after those, those initial warnings, then James goes on and he gives us these six different illustrations of what our words are like. And those can actually kind of be grouped into, into three groups and they show us all the things that our words have the power to do. As I said, they can be broken up into three broad categories. The first thing we see here is that our our words have the power to direct. He gives us two examples here, right? He gives us the example of the bit and the mouth, mouth of a horse, and he gives us the example of a rudder of a ship. Think about what they're like. They're, they're very small, and yet they're able to direct something much larger. Think about the, the bit of a horse. The bit put in the, the mouth of a, a half-ton horse allows a 120-pound jockey to be able to steer that racehorse wherever he wants him to go on the racetrack. Or a huge, giant ship. Its direction is controlled largely by a tiny little rudder. And so, so words are like that. They may seem small. They may seem unimportant. But they have the ability to direct huge things. They have the ability to direct us into evil or righteousness. The ability to direct us into truth or falsehood. The, the ability to build up or to tear down. They have the ability to do great things and direct us in many different ways. The next two illustrations he gives us, they show that that words have the power to destroy. So they have the power to direct, but one of the ways they can do that is they, they can destroy. And he gives us two examples here. He gives us the example of fire, and he gives us the example of wild animals. I still remember on the morning of June 6, 2020, I was driving down Oracle Road, and I looked up there on Push Ridge, and there was a tiny little fire up there on Push Ridge. And I remember thinking, man, they'll have that put out probably before the day is over. It wasn't till almost two months later that the Bighorn Fire was contained, and by then it had burned almost 120,000 acres. And that's a picture of what our words can do, right? One little word, one little word can cause so much damage like that. It has the power to destroy. That, that's why James writes here. He, here's how he describes it. It says that they're staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. 
So our words are powerful. They have the, they have the ability to destroy. He gives us a second picture here, that of wild animals, particularly those wild animals that he says have, have poison within them. And living here in the desert, we know about poisonous animals, right? Rattlesnakes and spiders and Gila monsters and all kinds of things out here, scorpions. And what do we do? We try to stay away from them because we don't want to get bitten or stung. Because we know if we do, at a minimum, it's going to be painful. And in some cases, you can die from those things. So we stay away from them. And yet sometimes we don't shy away from words that can do the very same thing. Most of us are probably familiar with the children's nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. I get the I get the meaning behind that. I get what the author was trying to say. But that's not true, is it? That's not true at all. Words do hurt. They can they can they can hurt a lot. And once they're out there, like I share with the kids, once they're out there, you can't you can't take them back. A lot of times you can't take back the harm that's been done. Once a falsehood's out there, you can't always turn it into a truth. Once someone's reputation has been damaged, it, 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 sometimes it's hard to repair. Sometimes maybe you can never do it. Once a harmful word is spoken and, and relationships are impacted, sometimes it's hard to mend those relationships. So we need to be really careful that our words don't destroy. Fortunately, he ends this section and he lets us no, not only can they, they direct, not only did they destroy, but they can also delight. He gives us two last pictures here, a picture of a spring and a picture of a tree. And in our culture today where when we want water, we just turn on a faucet or we go grab a bottle out of the refrigerator or something like that, where we can go to the grocery store and get all the food that we want. These, these two illustrations probably don't mean as much to us today as they did to James' audience back then. Like I say, back then, if you wanted fresh water, you couldn't just turn on, you know, your, your faucet. You couldn't, you did, they didn't have reverse osmosis systems and water softeners. So what did they have to do? They had to go to these fresh water springs where they could get, they could get this fresh water. And that's why in that culture, most of the towns actually grew up around where those springs were because we all know we need water for life. So that was refreshing to them. Think about a tree. A tree, it tells us here it gives fruit, but in their culture, again, trees did a whole lot more than just give food. They provided shade from the, from the sun. They didn't have air conditioning back then. They provided roots that kept the soil in place when it rained. So these things show us that, that words can also delight. They can build up. They can edify. And I'm pretty sure that all of you here this morning, you're here because you do want your words to delight. You want them to edify. And so let's take a few moments here to just talk about how do we do that. How do I speak words that delight? I'm going to share with you three things. I think they're all pulled right out of this passage here. The first thing is that that I have to let God tame my tongue. Notice what he writes here. He says that, that our tongue is like a wild animal, and he says what? No human being can tame our tongue. 
Now, he doesn't say, be careful, he doesn't say that no one can tame our tongue. He just says no human can do that. And the implication there is that that if we want our tongue to be tamed, we have to let God do it. Because we're not very good at doing that ourselves, are we? We have to let God do it. We have to, we have to allow God to do that. I can, I can remember that when I first became a Christian, I mean, I wasn't near as bad as some of my friends, but I honestly, I used some words that I shouldn't have spoken. And the very moment I became a disciple of Jesus, it didn't mean that I no longer used any of those words. In fact, I'll be really honest, today, even today, if I hit my thumb with a hammer or if I hit a bad shot out on the golf course, some of those, I, some of those words come to mind again. And I have to allow God, I have to allow His Holy Spirit to tame my tongue so that those words don't come out of my mouth. The good news is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And he wants to tame your tongue. But you have to allow him to do that. You have to submit your tongue to his leadership, to his guidance, to his control. And so one of the things I pray often is, God, would you guide my words? Holy Spirit, would you guide the words that come out of my mouth? Because I want to speak words that delight. So I need to first let God tame my tongue. Number two, I need to check my heart. You know, if any of you have ever had chest pain or heart palpitations or shortness of breath, what do you do? You go to the doctor and get a checkup because you know there's something wrong with your heart. And what James is saying here is that, that if, you're, if your words that are coming out of your mouth, if they're not building up, if they're tearing down, if they're destroying instead, then you probably have a heart problem. And you need to get a heart checkup. I think, I can't prove it, but I think James here was thinking back to these words that Jesus had spoken, words that he had probably heard. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So what James and what Jesus are both saying is that, that if your words are not what you want them to be, the reason is because you have a problem with your heart. And you need to evaluate your heart because that's where those words are coming from. Finally, one last thing. I need to think before I speak. I need to think before I speak. And as you can see, in just a minute, I'm going to share with you an acronym. I I don't do this a lot because I think some of them are kind of hokey. But in, in this case, I think this is exactly what James is talking about here, that we need to think before we speak. So I'm going to give you this acronym. I'm going to just kind of give it to you. Um, you'll be able to have a chance if you need to write it down as we go through. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I mean. So the, the word think just means this, that before I speak, here's what I need to ask. Is it T? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And in just a minute, I'm going to show you that every one of those five criteria, that they come straight out of the Scriptures. And so here's what I'm going to suggest. If you're going to communicate something in writing, whether that's a response to a social media post or an email or a text or anything else, that you go ahead and write it down. And then I'd suggest if you can, put it away overnight and then come back and look at it the next day. And guess what happens 
like probably half the time you realize I don't even need to send this, you know. Maybe I don't even need to write this at all. But if you think you do, then you take it and you apply these criteria to that. And if it doesn't meet all those criteria, then you don't send it or you change it so that it will meet those criteria. Now, when we're speaking words, we don't have time to do that, right? Every time a word gets ready to come out of my mouth, I can't go down this checklist and kind of one, two, three, four, five, right? But maybe you can do that kind of quickly in your mind. And if you can't, maybe sometimes it's just better to say nothing at all than to say something that you're going to regret later on. I I do that all the time. I'll just, I'm like, man, I'm just not going to say anything right now. Maybe there'll be an appropriate time, but I just need to wait. But I think if if you begin to, If you begin to apply these criteria on a regular basis, guess what's happening? You can do that almost instantaneously as you're thinking about the things you're going to say if you get in the habit of doing that. So let me, I said I would show you that every single one of these five criteria that they come from the Scriptures. Let's look first at truth. Here, I'm just going to read through these passages. I'm not even going to comment on them because I think they're so clear that I don't really need to. The first one comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Of course, we're going to find a lot of the stuff we're going to look at here in the Proverbs, because the Proverbs have a lot to say about our tongue, right? Here's what it says in Proverbs 14, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. So we need to speak what is true. How about helpful? How do we speak what is helpful? Where is that in the Scriptures? We find it again, Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for what? For building up, for being helpful, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 1 Corinthians says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Or again from Paul, 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? We all probably are familiar with this passage from Hebrews. It seems like we look at this one a lot, right? Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but why? but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another with these words. Is it inspiring? Next, is it necessary? We're going to find a lot of verses here in the Proverbs that help us with this. Here's the first one. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, we've probably all heard, I'm just going to throw this in, we've always heard the thing, you know, about about, uh, instead of putting your foot in your mouth, don't say anything, you know, because otherwise people are going to know it's there. So so just sometimes you don't need to say anything. He, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue, keeps himself out of trouble. Another one from the Proverbs. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We talked a lot about fools when we went through Proverbs. Finally, this last one, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. That's a good one, huh? 
Maybe we ought to heed that one a little bit more. Finally, is it kind? Is it kind? Proverbs again. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Another one from the Proverbs. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And finally, again, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is a great chapter. If you want to learn more about how to control your tongue, go back there. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So before you speak, think. Seeing this morning that, that a mature disciple uses his words to build up and not destroy. That's my prayer for, for all of us. And as we said at the beginning, this is a really probably a pretty good measure of where you are in your spiritual maturity. So let me ask you a question this morning. If someone were to look at your life, and they were to judge you by the words that you use, what would they think about how spiritually mature you are? How would they rank your spiritual maturity based on the words that you use, whether it's words out of your mouth, whether it's the things you write down, whether it's your emails, your texts? What would they think? That's a pretty sobering thought, right? Not just for those of us who teach, but for all of us, that's a pretty sobering thought. So I want to encourage you, be intentional about this. This is something that won't just happen by accident. You have to be intentional as you speak and as you write and as you communicate with other people. You have to intentionally apply the principles that we've talked about today. It won't just happen by accident. Words are important, right? I'm going to leave you this morning. I'm not just going to ask you to take my word for it. I'm going to leave you this morning with the words of Jesus that he spoke to help us to understand just how important our words are. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 12. Either, Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. And here's the key part. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account, people will give account for every careless word they speak. People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for helping us to understand just how important our words are. And Father, I know we're all guilty at times of just letting things slip out of our mouths or things that we write down. And and Father, those things aren't those things aren't good. They're not for building up. They're They're only used for destruction, Father, and we don't want to do that. So would you help us to think before we speak? Would you help us to allow your Holy Spirit to tame our tongue? Would you help us to check our heart and get that right with you, Father, so that the words that come out of our mouths will be pleasing and honoring to you? Father, we can't do that alone. That's why we need your help. 
So we lay our lives before you this morning and ask that you would just mold them and make them as you desire. Pray it in Jesus' name.